1 Corinthians 10. Uh, Alistair mentioned it. We are going through a series uh, called Shadows of Christ. And, and we're looking at all the old, or not all, but many of the Old Testament glimpses um, of, uh, and shadows and types that would, w- would happen in their stories. And they're like, what is, okay, you kind of see it and you're like, that seems really familiar. It seems like, seems like God's up to something there. He's pointing us forward to something in Jesus. And that's the truth. That's what happens. So we have Shadows and Types, uh, the series of Shadows of Christ. Um, and, and one of the, the encouragements from this series for you and I from Scripture is from Paul in Colossians 2, and it says this, uh, these, these are shadows, all these, these events and these uh, festivals and, and this religion and these, these things that happened are all shadows of what was to come. The substance is Christ. So the, the encouragement for you and I is that we would embrace the substance that is Jesus and not just settle for the shadows, right? That we'd embrace the substance. So uh, today we continue on in that series. We first started and we took a look at the snake, the bronze snake that was uh, on a pole and lifted up in the, in the wilderness for the Israelites, that they were bit by poisonous snakes, that they would look to this snake lifted up, that they would be healed. And we tied that right in with Jesus when Jesus actually said himself, uh, just as the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man, he's saying about himself, must also be lifted up, that anyone who believed would have life. So we talked about that connection between the snake in the wilderness and Jesus Christ. Uh, and then last week we looked at Joseph, and it was a little, little uh, tougher to see at first, I think it was at first, because there's nothing in the New Testament that said, hey, Jesus is just like Joseph. You know, we couldn't say that. But what we could say is that we saw what Joseph was. He was a suffering servant who was eventually exalted, and there were so many implications through the text of Genesis, as Moses wrote, that would point us to all of these being types and shadows that would point eventually to Jesus. And now today we move into another one. It's, uh, it's still in the wilderness now with uh, Moses, but it's the rock in the wilderness. It's the rock in the wilderness. And we see that in, uh, in our passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So today we're going to look at the rock in the wilderness. I'll pray for us, and then we'll get to work here uh, through our text. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you love us, love us so much. God, that we can come uh, together, God, as one church, as a body, who celebrates and worships you, who lifts you up, God, who, who looks to your word, who, God, prays for each other, who um, has community with one another. God, we thank you for those opportunities as the body. God, today as we, we now look to your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive. That, God, we would see the shadow and we would see the substance that is Christ and we would be be drawn more into a deeper faith-filled relationship in him. But help us trust you as most satisfying. We thank you. We offer this time to you. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so our passage today is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 14 together. I'm going to turn there. I didn't do that when I instructed you to do that. 1 Corinthians 10. 1 through 14. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, so that we will not desire the evil things as they did. Do not become idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality, 
as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And let us not complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples. And we, or, and, and they were witnesses for our instruction on whom the ends of all the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except that what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. All right, so this is our passage today, and we're going to break this into three parts. And we're going we're gonna to talk about the link from this text back to the wilderness, back to the Israelites, back to the rock that Paul says was Christ. Um, so we're going to look at the, the rock in the wilderness in three points. Number one is this. The rock in the wilderness was revealed as God's presence and provision. The rock was revealed as God's presence and his provision. If we look at the first part of this text I just read, it says, now I don't want you to be unaware, unaware or or distracted or forgetful or in a routine that is really a rut. And so, so really the crux of this is for Paul to say, listen, you need to examine your heart. You need to examine your life. You need to examine your actions and, and ask, why am I doing what, I, what I'm doing? And what Paul would say is you probably could be embracing a lot of shadows and not really embracing Jesus. How, how do we know that? Well, it goes on. It says this, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors we're all under the cloud. Now, as he talks about these things that the ancestors were, they were all there. It wasn't like, hey, they weren't there. They were on the hillside away, kind of watching what was going on. They were in the midst. They were part of Israel on the way out of Egypt and towards the promised land. So he says, our ancestors, they were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, right? When the Red Sea, went, they, went, they all passed through. They were all baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea under them, under, under those events. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. So listen, they all participated in the same ways and the same things. But that's not what matters most. We look at the rock. It says, they all drank from the spiritual drink. For they drank the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. It seems like they had everything going for them. Everything to do with, with the things of God. But Paul writes, he says, nevertheless... God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. So what is he saying? Well, he goes on to the next verse in verse 6. These things took place as examples for us, for you and I, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. So what we see is happening is although they are in the, in the camp and with them and under the cloud and in the sea and, and drinking from the rock and eating the food, they, were, they had it all going just the way everyone else did. What Paul is pointing out is that they were sinful. They, they desired evil things instead of godly things. They, we can all, right, we can understand that. Maybe we go to church. Oh, I, I just go to church on a Sunday morning. That's my routine. That's what I do. And you have nothing to do with Christ. And as soon as you leave, you have nothing to do with Christ or faithfulness to him. Right? You're in church. You're in a seat. You're in with, with people. You're doing the same things and participating in the same ways. But he doesn't want us to be unaware that something happens if it gets into a routine and in a rut that we desire evil things, and we are not to do that. So what do we need to be aware of? What do these examples help us see? And that's the question. Is we, need, we need to look and see, what is God showing us here? 
Here, here's what we see. We see God's presence. There's two little things here. Two big things, I guess. God's presence is one. We see the, the Lord went ahead of them. This is Exodus th- uh, 13. So he talks about the cloud, the pillar of, of, of cloud, right? Or, or a fire. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that, the cloud, that they could travel uh, by day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place. And it finishes in front of the people. In front of the people. If I read this again, and just the first phrase and the last phrase. The Lord never left his place in front of the people. The Lord's presence was there in the midst of the cloud, in the midst of the pillar of fire. His presence was there. Now, they might just participate in the cloud and participate in the fire, thinking, okay, this is, this is where we go, this is how we do it. Never realizing it was the Lord that was right in front of them, right there as, as the substance to grab onto, as the substance to hold onto, deeply and dearly in faith. But they just went through the motions instead. The Lord never left his place in front of his people. What else do we see here? We see the people complained. They said, oh, you know, the Lord is right there in front of them. The Lord is, is present, guiding and directing and, and helping them all along the way. And they're like, well, we're kind of getting tired of this, this routine. We're kind of getting tired of, of what you have to offer for us. Even what you're feeding us doesn't seem like it's quenching our thirst. And, and actually, we're so thirsty, we need some water. Can you do something for us? And they complained and grumbled against God. And finally, God said, fine, Moses, you're going to go help them get water. And, and this is picked up in Exodus 17. Here's what God said to Moses. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. I am going. So the, the Lord says, I am going to stand in front, there in front of you. And where is he going to stand? He's going to stand on the rock. And then you're to hit the rock. Now, we're going to see, how, this, is, this is about Jesus as well, right? Um, and, and, and what's interesting we, we're like this a lot, like the Israelites. They, they kind of they bite the hand that feeds them. You ever hear that, don't bite the hand that feeds you? Like someone's serving you and giving you something. It's like, treasure that. En- enjoy that, that, that provision for, for that person. And, and Jesus there, God, the, the Lord is, is fire and pillar and providing manna and providing water and, and whatever they need. They got blindsided and said, oh, I, uh, I, I'm grumbling about this instead of thanking the one who is giving us all of this, Right? And we should be thankful at the offering that God is giving them. But, but we bite the hand that feeds us. But they became examples in doing that, that we would not ignore God. We ought not ignore God, his presence or his provision. So how, this is where we tie in the type in, to Jesus, right? We talk about the rock in the wilderness. And the rock there, we see the rock and God's, God is on this rock. His presence is on the rock. And then out of the rock is going to come what? <clears throat> Water, right? The provision of God, the, the rescue, the, the, the life-giving, <laughs> quenching thirst, right? So it, how do we see this with Jesus? I just have a text out of John. There's a lot of places, but John 1 seemed fitting. John 1.29, John the Apostle writes about John the baptizer. He says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, remember what John, John the baptizer said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, 
This is now at his baptism. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it rested, what? On him. It rested on him. Two things we can see here. God was on the rock. God rested on the rock, and out of the rock, he provided provision. So with his presence and his provision. And then with Jesus, we see that too. At at the baptism of Christ, we see the Spirit of God descend upon Jesus like a dove. God's presence is on Jesus. And out of Jesus, he is now our provision. And John says, behold, what kind of provision is he? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would be our Lamb sacrifice. Make a way for us to be made right with God. God rested on the rock and gave provision. And God rests on Jesus and he provides the lamb. The rock has been revealed, and his presence and his power are available to us. But we must not be unaware or unprepared. We must not grumble about what is right in front of us and and really look up and grab onto who is in front of us. We can't be also just willy-nilly about participating uh, in the things of God or the things of Christ. Like, oh, I like this. It's a fun tradition. It's a fun thing to do on Sunday morning. And, and, and really, you know what? You might be wasting your time. Because if the substance isn't Christ and all it is is a fun thing to do, we're not very serious about the substance of Jesus Christ. We cannot participate that way. We must embrace him fully in faith. I'll say this about Jesus and what he offers. He is not a menu. The Israelites were treating him like that, weren't they? The Israelites got food, they got sustenance, they got what they wanted, and then they're like, "Eh, I'm kind of tired of this thing. What else do you got on the menu, Jesus? What else do you have in store for us? Can you do something else for me? We've talked about this before, where we we treat Jesus like this circus act. Like, like do something crazy for us. Do something fun for us. Do something like we haven't seen yet before. Just like, I'm right here. I'm the everything. There's nothing else better. I'm I'm the thing that's on the menu, and I will fully satisfy you. But the Israelites kept thinking, well, what's, there's got to be something better. There's got to be something else. Is there a special of the day? Right? We treat Jesus like that, don't we? He's not a menu. You know, there's a difference between living by faith and by faith in the substance that is Christ, and there's a difference between living by religious pretense and preference. Oftentimes, we, we would totally rather have our own comfort, our own preferences, rather than say, I, I'm going to live by faith in Jesus, who is 100% everything to me, and, and it should be to us. And, and when we move on our own, and, and either we're unaware, right, or we're, we're moving away from the Lord's presence, we do it in, in our name, right, in our way, in our wisdom, in our own strength. And when we do that, we wind up right back in slavery again. That is no way to live. And we go back into slavery of our own doing. It's only through walking in faith behind the cloud that, that we're able to be led out of Egypt, right? That's what they were doing. And, and they're, they're to go through the sea on dry ground. We must embrace the substance and the presence and the provision of God now revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Amen? John says this, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. I wish you would receive the grace upon grace from his fullness. So we see it, the, the rock in the wilderness was revealed as God's presence and provision. We see that in Jesus as well. Uh, number two, the rock in the wilderness was struck and poured out for rescue. The, it was struck and poured out for rescue. That Exodus passage we'll see in a minute. But, but I want to go to the next part of the Corinthians passage. 
it's, it's, the issue here is it was struck and poured out for our rescue. So we don't have to wander. So we don't have to go try to find something else that would satisfy. Jesus was poured out so, so we could be fully satisfied and fully forgiven. The rock was struck and water poured out so the Israelites could be fully satisfied. And these, these things happened as examples. If we look at verse 6 again in Corinthians 10, uh, they took place as examples, right? These examples are God's presence and His power, His provision. They're examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. See, when our heart is prone to wander, we wander towards ourselves and towards our own pleasures, towards our own preferences, and towards sin. That's where we wander. So what's this look like? Paul, Paul lists this out. He says, don't wander towards evil things as they did. Verse 7, don't become idolaters as some of them uh, were. right? Worshiping something else, putting other things in the priority higher and above God. Don't become idolaters. And, and, and they sat down to eat and drink and they got up to party. Verse 8, let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. did. So there's, there's idolatry. We worship, and that could be everything, right? We could, we could idolize sex too. It, we, whatever we worship, whatever is a greater priority than God is now our, our God, now our idol. But, but he, he lists sexual immorality. Right? We go there. We, we, want, we feel like there's this, this hole inside of us and we need satisfaction. So certainly we go towards anything that would be considered pleasure. But we do it in our way instead of God's way. And when we do it in our way, we end up hurt and scarred and beaten up. God's way is better way. So he says, don't go towards these things. Sexual immorality. The next one, he says, uh, let, let us not test Christ, as some of them did, and were destroyed by snakes. And says, do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. It, uh, let's just pause on that one for a minute. I, any of you guys grumble ever? Right? No, not at all. Never, right? I, I do my fair share of that. I, I, when you look at this, like the idea of just, it's grumbling, right? But, but think about grumbling. What does that even, what does that do? What does that show in my heart? That I'm not thankful, that I'm not, I'm not okay with, with maybe how I'm feeling right now. And, and sometimes it's hard. It's hard to follow Christ. It's hard to live for Him and, and to, deny, to deny ourselves. And when we don't want to deny ourselves, we end up grumbling, complaining. What was the punishment here? They don't grumble as some of them did, and they were killed by the destroyer. Wow, right? And I see this in my heart. I see this in, in our hearts, my, my children's hearts, right? God bless them. I, I, you ever see that? Like the, the idea, it's, it's, I'm not going to name names because that's not nice for my kids right now. But the idea, think about this. So often, I see this in my children, I see this in me. So often, we have so many things to be thankful for. So many things to, to say thank you for and say, God, you, you've blessed, you've given, you've satisfied. It's all right there. It's all right there. But then I find the one thing and all that other stuff, what? It doesn't matter anymore. I, I, it could be the, the best life in the world except for one thing. Because when I'm focused on that one thing and it's not going my way, I am going to grumble. And when I grumble, I forget everything else. I forget all of the blessings of God. All of this, the, the things that He's satisfied with. Everything I should be thankful for, I, I forget. And I only focus on what I'm missing myself. And what I'm interested in myself and why I didn't get my way and I become a three-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 40-year-old. We grumble. That's, that's a sin. That's, that's moving us away from being satisfied fully by God through Jesus Christ. We desire to be satisfied, but it's usually on our own terms, chasing things that will ultimately end in ruin for us. 
So run to the rock. Back to that Exodus passage. Remember that we're talking about the rock in the wilderness was struck and poured out for our rescue. God said, I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. And when you hit the rock, water will come out of it and all the people will drink. The rock wasn't struck for its own benefit. Do you understand that? The rock was not struck for its own benefit. It was the benefit of the Israelites. It was struck for their benefit. And Jesus, by the way, was not struck down for his benefit. It was for his glory, but it was for our benefit. Isaiah 53 tells us this. He himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains, and we in turn have regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. See, we thought, oh, he, he got struck down because of him. No, he got struck down because of me. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed for, uh, by our iniquities. And the punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. But what? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned to our own way. Just what Paul is saying. Don't do this. There's examples. Don't do this. We've all gone our own way. Yet the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. The rock was struck to bring life out of it for the Israelites, and Jesus was struck down by God so that you and I could have life through faith in him. Isaiah 53 says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. I mean, like, it can't be worth it then, right? I didn't have to spend anything on it. He goes on, he says, Why do you spend silver on what is not actually food, and your wages on what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. See, we can be satisfied in what God is providing us through Jesus Christ as he pours himself out for us. In Christ, there is joy and there is satisfaction. We see this too of the Israelites in Psalm 78. I think I read this last week or the week before. Psalm 78, beginning in verse 20, says, Look, the, the, he struck the rock and water gushed out, torrents overflowed. Now, just, if we stop there for a minute, he struck the water or struck the rock and water gushed out, torrents came out. Like this was everything the Israelites needed was right there. And still they wandered, right? But can he also provide bread or furnish meat for his people? Is the response. Everything we needed was poured out from the rock. Everything we've needed has been poured out from Jesus to us. And we wonder, is there something I'm missing? Can I have some of this instead? Therefore, the Lord heard and became furious. When God has given you every good thing that you could possibly need and to be fully satisfied, and when we say, mm, I don't know that that's enough, I'm going to go here instead, he gets angry. And his anger flared up against Israel. Why? Because that attitude of heart says this, we do not believe God, and we are not going to rely on his salvation. That is not a place I want to be. I, I mean, I need to be honest, right? But I don't, I don't want to be in a place that I ever say that. God, I don't, I don't need you. I don't believe you're trustworthy. I'm not going to rely on your salvation. But we must rely on his salvation. He, his is the only salvation that counts for anything. And we see that offered to us through Christ as well, a way to be made right and made whole, with God through what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Romans 5 says this in verses 8 through 10. But God proves his own love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, like while we were still going our own way, doing our own thing, being satisfied or trying to be satisfied in our own pleasures, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was struck. How much more than since we have been now justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? You see, we, we have all sinned and all fallen short of God's glory. We're separated from God because of our sin. And then we wander in the wilderness, even as God leads, and thinking, well, God's not really going to be all satisfying to me. No, he is. He, he's the one who put himself on a cross in your place and in my place. He's the one that allowed himself to be struck down and beaten and afflicted and tormented and let the wrath of God rest on his shoulders and let his blood be poured out as an offering for your sin and for my sin. That's what he's done. God proves his own love that way for us. That we be saved now from wrath through faith in Christ. For if while we were enemies of God, then we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. You see that we were enemies with God. And, and a lot of these Israelites in the, in the wilderness stayed enemies of God and died. Because they never embraced the substance. They just dealt with and played with the shadow. They thought, oh, I'll follow the cloud. Oh, there's the fire. There's the rock. Eh, tastes a little rusty in that water. Got any better? They complained. They grumbled. They didn't embrace the one who gave them life. If we were enemies with God, we, we then were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, will we now be saved by his life? It's not just that you need forgiveness. It's that you need life. And, and he offers that. He, he died as a substitute for your sin and my sin. He poured out his blood to cover our sins. But he didn't stay dead. He rose victoriously saying, I, I'm, I'm God over death as well. Not just over sin, but over death. And through faith in Christ, you and I can have a right standing with God. We can have the righteousness of Christ that was never earned. It was always given to us by faith in Christ. And we stand before God and we have life, eternal life, because Jesus conquered death for us. He took the pain and he suffered so we didn't have to. We are free from sin and it should not have a hold on us anymore. Matthew 10 Jesus says, the one who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. All the while, these people, God is right there saying, embrace me, I'm the substance. But they don't. He says, you're not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. You find your life, you find your pleasure, you find your preferences, you find your way, and it will end in ruin. But Jesus promises this, anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. See, the, the moment you and I get over ourselves and we humble ourselves and we come to him and embrace him for life, he changes everything. And he is our everything. So stop wandering to worthless idols. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Be satisfied and have life in him. Finally, number three, the rock in the wilderness is always with you. The rock in the wilderness is always with you. So it's a full circle back now, uh, back, back to God's presence, God's power, and God's word, right? God's there with the Israelites saying, listen, I'm here, I'm, I'm present, I'm, I'm providing for you, follow my instructions, and, and you're going to do awesome. It's going to be great. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. We're going to be awesome. 
So, so Paul, writing to us, says, listen, I know that some of you are kind of like them. You don't really get it. You don't really want it. You want to wander your own way and do your own thing. You shouldn't do that. And you need to rely on God's power and his presence. And, and to do what? This is the last part here, 12 through 14. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. This is directly back to those who are wandering their own way. Oh, you think you're doing okay. You, you're embracing and kind of playing with all the shadows. That's great. Be careful because you will fall. Careful to he who thinks he stands. Be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. I love that right there. God is faithful, right? We're all tempted. We all, we all have that fleshly inkling to go, go our own way, to wander outside of God, to go towards idols and sin. But guess what? God is faithful. Not just as a theory or, or, or some shadow or a cloud. He is faithful as the substance of everything we hope for. He is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you will be able to bear it. In verse 14, so then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. We flee from idolatry. We run to Jesus. Why? Because in his presence and with his provision and with his power, we can overcome those sins. You see Paul's argument here in 1 Corinthians 10. He started out, he says, listen, God is with us. God is with us, but don't behave like he's not with us. Don't, don't pretend like he's just with us sometimes. God is with us in his presence and his power. And then he says in the next part, he said, now, now stay away from idols. Don't wander towards things that are worthless and useless. Run towards him, towards the one that's poured out for you. And his final part, he goes back, you can be faithful because God is with us. You can be faithful because God is with us. This passage said the rock followed them. Now, I don't know, there's a lot of theological theories behind that. Like I, don't, they're like, I don't know if it really followed him all the way or it was a new rock or whatever. But the presence of God and the provision of God and power of God most certainly followed them. Whether or not the rock waddled with them or not, I, probably not. But God did. And for you and I, Christ is always available to us. His word is always available to us. We should never have to feel like we need to wander away towards something inferior for something worthless something that may may even be be or sound good but it's not best in fact it's it's only then when we're wandering away when temptation seems to mount and we can't escape it run back to him don't take your eyes off of him or his word embrace him as the substance psalm 119 i have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's power, God's presence, God's provision. He's given us his word that when we treasure it, it would help us to not wander away and sin against him. Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners. Now, that's an amazing God. I said to you, you are my servant, and I have chosen you. I haven't rejected you. And he says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my mighty 
righteous right hand. This is the promise of God for you and I. Temptation's going to come. Doubts are going to come in. Run to the substance that is Christ, the substance that has been poured out for you. Turn in faith to him. The rock was always with them. God called them. God strengthened them and helped them and held on to them with his righteous right hand. And we see that in Jesus as well as, as he leaves. And it's in our, in our passage, uh, our uh, memory verse today, right? Verse 20 of Matthew 28, 28. He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christ, not only the rock in the wilderness, was with them the whole way and followed them. Christ is with us always to the very end of the age. So then we offer ourselves to him in faith. And, and we embrace him as, as the substance of our faith. And he will not disappoint us. We move from grumbling to offering glory to him. I love this last verse I want to read. It's out of Jude. It's verses 24 and 25. The book has one chapter. It's a prayer, an offering of thanksgiving. It says this, Now to him, that is Jesus, who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. So we move from grumbling and, and our own way to embracing the substance that is Christ and then, then offering ourselves to him for his glory and offering glory to him, to the one, the only one that's ever been worthy. Amen. Let's stand together and pray and we'll continue in worship. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for, God, these glimmers of, of Jesus, these shadows of Christ all throughout the Old Testament. And Lord, as we see the rock in the wilderness, we are, we are amazed, God, at the power and presence and provision of God and of Christ, through Christ. God, that, that, that he was struck and poured out for our sins. And God, that we can be faithful to embrace him because he is with us wherever we go. And he will never disappoint. He will help he will strengthen, he will hold on to us with his mighty and righteous right hand. So God, we offer him all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.